be focusing on uh, is Acts chapter 4. And in that passage, Peter and John find themselves, uh, they're on trial for believing in Jesus and ministering in his name. Now, Acts chapter 4 is itself a carryover of a story that starts in Acts chapter 3, which is the very early days of the ministry after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So I'm going to briefly look at Acts 3 just to set the stage in context. It will be on the screen, Acts 3, 1 to 16. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and jumping and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So that's the context for our focus passage, a miraculous healing, exuberant praise, drawing a crowd, and then Peter addressing the crowd uh, about Jesus. Now let's see what happens in the first half of Acts 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other members of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, 
and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Isn't that a powerful passage? And in the midst of all of that, there's a phrase that stands out in verse 13. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John had become known for knowing Jesus. The apostles acted and spoke in such a way that the only possible explanation was that they had spent time with Jesus and that that time with Jesus had changed them. Those those gathered there in that courtroom realized that it was the relationship with Jesus that mattered, not the education, training, or family uh, reputation of of those men. They were just fishermen from Galilee. So our goal this morning is to explore that concept of being known for knowing Jesus by studying the words uh, and actions of Peter and John that resulted in them being known for knowing Jesus and looking at the things that caused them to be identified by their relationship with Christ and then ultimately uh, looking at how we can apply those in our lives. Uh, It is worth noting this is not the only passage in Scripture that we can glean ideas of being known for knowing Jesus. We'll be looking at five identifiers for being known for knowing Jesus today from Acts 4. There's probably others elsewhere, but these are a good five uh, to look at uh, this morning. The first identifier that led to them being known for knowing Jesus was preaching the resurrection. This is the first clear aspect of Peter and John's teaching, the resurrection of Jesus. It caused the religious leaders to become greatly disturbed, which is a nice way of saying they were furious. And it showed because they immediately put him in prison. So you never want someone to say they're greatly disturbed by something you're doing. That's not a good sign. Um, Those that reject the gospel message are always offended by the preaching of Christ's resurrection. We see in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Let's look at that stumbling block. That's something that trips you up. And when you're tripped up, what happens? You fall, you have pain. So it's uncomfortable. It's not, it's not a, a good thing to say, oh, let's just put a stumbling block in somebody's way. Foolishness doesn't make sense. Easily dismissed, not easily received because it's gibberish. It's foolishness. So in both cases, the gospel is offensive or difficult for somebody to come to, whether they're coming from a religious or a secular perspective. So they're on equal footing there for two different reasons. But the resurrection of Christ is that is that center focus there. And the thought of that 
really brings up the question, what would faith in Christ be without the resurrection? Since it is a stumbling block and foolishness to some, what would it be to our faith if we didn't have the resurrection of Christ? 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6 and 12-21 addresses this. Um, it's a little involved, so hang, hang with it. Um, but 1 Corinthians 15 beautifully addresses the importance of Christ's resurrection to our faith. Paul is writing, For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised back to life on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. But if it is preached that Christ has been risen from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise Christ if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. What a great passage. That passage makes it clear as you go through that thought process that it's impossible for the gospel to exist without Christ's resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the very central aspect to whether we believers really have hope and whether non-believers have to even seriously consider Jesus' message. Timothy Keller, who's a pastor and apologist, wrote in 2008 a book called The Reason for God, Belief in the age of skepticism. And he summarizes it this way. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. So if we are going to share about Christ, we need to make sure that we're preaching the full truth concerning him. It might be more culturally acceptable to focus on Jesus as just a good teacher trying to help us live better lives in this world. But that's not the full, that's not the full truth. The full truth is he is an eternal, powerful savior, defeating death and transforming our souls. That's the biblically acceptable gospel. God is willing to reinforce and demonstrate Christ's resurrection in our lives and in the lives of others by being changed in Jesus' name. Like that man who for 40 years, his whole life had never walked. He was literally a visible picture of the resurrection. The legs that had been dead, useless to him, were alive, and he was jumping and leaping and praising God. He wasn't just stumbling along. Okay, he's on his feet, but he's 
unsteady and he needs crutches. He had gone from dead legs to fully alive legs, jumping and praising God. Another way to testify to Christ's resurrection is what the church is going to be doing today, and that's baptism. Believer's baptism is described in Romans 6 as a beautiful symbol of a believer's identity with Christ's death and resurrection. As a church, we're celebrating that uh, this afternoon, and that's such a beautiful uh, example of really being identified uh, with Christ's uh, death and resurrection. All right, so our second point of identifiers, uh, ways that Peter and John were known for knowing Jesus, is their compassion, helping the helpless. What was the reason for doing the miracle in chapter 3? The disciples' action was prompted by seeing the suffering of someone overlooked by everyone else walking by. This is a man who for 40 years had never been able to walk. Showing compassion towards that man that everyone else passed by had identified them. It was totally normal for people to walk by that man without caring, without ever really seeing him. It was definitely not normal to care about him or to take interest in helping him. It was their compassion that drew the attention of the crowd. Why did they care? Because of Jesus. Peter and John had learned compassion from the example of Christ. There are many passages in the Gospels that speak to Jesus' compassion. Uh, we could do a whole sermon series on them. Uh, this morning, I'll be looking at one uh, from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark 1, 39 to 42. And Jesus was preaching in their synagogues throughout Galilee and casting out demons. Now a man with leprosy came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to Jesus and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as Christ had spoken, immediately the leprosy left that man and he was cleansed. So we see the disciples acted out of compassion because they had seen Jesus act out of compassion time and time again. To hear Jesus said, I am willing. He is willing to act out of compassion. He is willing to get involved in somebody's mess. Remember that we serve a compassionate God who looks at our pain and says, I am willing to get powerfully involved in your personal life struggles. What an encouraging truth. One that also challenges us to show compassion to others. We don't have to look too far. Just going about our daily routine, there are people that need compassion, need a helping hand. We see with Peter and John, they were just going to the temple to pray, a regular routine in their schedule. They didn't have it marked down Thursday afternoon, going to heal a man. Uh, they were just going about their routine, but their eyes were sensitive and compassionate based on their relationship with Jesus. The third identifier to be known for knowing Jesus is giving the credit to Christ. We see in chapter 4, verse 10, as part of Peter's defense, he says, Let it be known to you all, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. The disciples resisted the temptation to claim the miracle for themselves. They could have seen this as a chance to become celebrities, essentially treating Jesus as an opening act and them kind of taking center stage as that main band that everyone was really there for. 
They could have spun it to try and keep the focus on themselves and become a big deal in that city or in that region. Also, it's worth pointing out, it might actually have been safer to downplay the involvement of Jesus. After all, they had been arrested and they were uh, in a room of people that had been greatly disturbed, again, furious, because of preaching Christ. So that's the absolute definition of a hostile courtroom. But instead of trying to explain away the miracle or take the credit for themselves, downplaying Christ's role, they intentionally brought Jesus to the forefront, making him center stage. Clearly, bringing Christ to the forefront and giving him credit was not limited to that one situation in the beginning of Acts. It was really the default setting for Peter, John, and all the apostles throughout Acts and the rest of the New Testament. 1 Peter 4.11, Peter writes, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Colossians 3.17 continues this idea. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The relevance to us is it's fairly easy to pray to God, to ask him to work in our lives when we're hurting, when we have a need. But it's harder to acknowledge to others the way that God does work. Sometimes we think it's not polite or maybe not the right time or the right place to bring up Christ and give him credit. But as Peter and John showed, there is no such thing as a bad place or time to give Christ credit and honor. Any time is a good time to give glory to Christ. So the fourth identifier that really indicated that Peter and John had known Jesus was their boldness and courage. See verse 13, that the people there, the court, if you will, saw the courage of Peter and John. It was their courage that is most directly linked to them concluding that these were guys that knew Jesus, even more so than their compassion. And it might surprise us a bit that Jesus often spoke about courage. We're going to look at two passages of Jesus commenting on biblical courage. John 16:33. Jesus speaking, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Our courage is to come through knowing Christ and his victory over anything that can happen in this world. He has overcome the world. Wow. That is really a message that you can take heart, have courage around. Christ has overcome the world. In another passage, Jesus directly predicts and speaks to the situation Peter and John found themselves in being on trial. Luke 12, 11 to 12. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how you should answer or about what you would say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say. In our society, courage is often presented as digging down deep getting that extra grit out of yourself. Uh, maybe 
uh, maybe we use the phrase um, visualizing the prize. You know, with the Olympics right now, uh, a lot of those athletes will say that they've been dreaming of this since they were nine years old. They're visualizing that prize. Years and years later, they achieve that prize. That's not really the courage that we're talking about here. We're not talking about courage um, that is completing some goal or dream or task in our life talking about a courage that relies on the Holy Spirit. Biblical courage is relying on God's strength and allowing God the Holy Spirit to work through us. 2 Timothy 1.7 states, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's pretty much the definition of biblical courage. The final aspect of being identified with Christ as found in Acts chapter 4 is preaching salvation through Christ alone. In verse 12, Peter concludes by saying, Nor is there salvation in any other, for in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There it is, the ending of Peter's defense inspired by the Holy Spirit. What a crescendo! The other four aspects build into this. He is throwing all in with Jesus. There is no doubt that he is guilty of being a follower of Christ. He declares the soul-challenging truth that this miraculous healing and all other miracles by Jesus are in his name testified to. And that is salvation only comes through Jesus. It's just as true for Peter and John and all believers as it was for those judging them and all non-believers. It's a non-negotiable truth. It's also the reason that identity with Jesus matters both for us and for others. His purpose, his mission, is to be our Savior. In Luke 19.10, Jesus, referring to himself as the Son of Man, says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank God. Because we are definitely lost and in need of a Savior. But notice that Christ being Savior is inherently exclusive. He's the only Savior, as indicated in John 14, 16. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is access to Father God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, But it's available through belief in Jesus to receive it. John 3.16 is one of the best known verses in Scripture, often quoted. But we're going to look at John 16, 17, and 18. 17 and 18 don't get as much attention, but they really complete that thought and really speak to the importance of Christ as the only Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Salvation and the resulting reconciliation with God is only possible through Jesus. The miracle of salvation doesn't stop there. Christ's work in us continues beyond this life. John eleven twenty five. Jesus speaking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, 
he shall live. So in conclusion, I challenge each of us to live in a way that we too are known for knowing Jesus, acknowledging the resurrection of Jesus, acting out of compassion, giving credit to Jesus, being bold and courageous, and teaching salvation through faith in Jesus alone.